listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of GreenBiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. Greener World Media contributing writer Sarah Feister-Gale met Dave Stangis of Intel last month while covering the Carbon Footprint Consumer Products Conference in Chicago. There, Mr. Stangis, who is Intel's Director of Corporate Responsibility, spoke about the need to incorporate carbon reduction efforts into a company's business plan. Mr. Stangis recently sat down with Sarah and Green Biz Radio to discuss the evolution of the company's carbon footprint and the challenges of making the business case for carbon reduction and efficiency improvements. Hi, Dave. Tell me a little bit about Intel's efforts to reduce carbon emissions. So... Our carbon footprint, for the most part, was made up, and is still made up, of two major parts in our operations. One is something called PFCs, or fluorocarbons. Mm-hmm. These are gases that we use in our, in our process, and they made up about half of our footprint. The other half was in the energy that we had to purchase. For a while now, our, our total carbon footprint has been about 4 million tons of CO2. Okay. About half PFCs and half energy. Well, in 1998, these PFCs are gases that have a high global warming potential. So, you know, a pound of a PFC in the atmosphere has a lot more impact on climate than a pound of CO2. So focusing on those would have kind of a multiplier effect. So the industry back in 98 set up, the whole industry globally, set up a goal to reduce these PFC emissions over the next um, decade or so. And we've been working on that. So that's what the early focus was on, is really driving down those PFC emissions. We've made some great strides. We basically design out those PFCs and design in more environmentally friendly materials. Can you give me some examples? Um, not with chemical names, but, you know, basically our process changes about every 18 months to two years. So, and we're designing, we're building those processes in with environmental engineers setting goals probably two or three years before that. So we have a group of environmental engineers that sit with our process designers. They meet every quarter designing, you know, the next and the next process. And they set goals for water use and carbon emissions and energy use and to drive that environmental footprint down. And then when it gets built into the system, it then gets copied everywhere we go. So we, we might have our first technology that is proliferated in Oregon. And then as we build those factories around the world, that built-in better environmental design gets copied everywhere. And that's kind of how we've made these strides over the years. Okay. And do you benchmark those efforts? Do you have statistics around around the impact that they've had? Yeah. So there's two two parts to your question. Number one is a lot of it is done with the industry. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that we've tried to do in this, because we're always at the front end, because, you know, we have to invest so much capital and R&D dollars to be the kind of leader in the semiconductor industry, we're always working with our competitors in the environmental health and safety space, and even the suppliers, the people that supply the tools that manufacture our chips sure. to try to make these improvements. So it's, it really is an industry-wide effort to try to drive these things down. There's actually an, a 10-year technology roadmap right. that the industry publishes publicly, and you could, it, it describes what we've done in that roadmap to try to drive these down. And we report to your, to your question on indicators We've been reporting these numbers publicly, both absolute and normalized now, you know, since that time, since the late 90s. Okay. In our environmental, in our, we've done, been doing environmental reports since 94, and now um, corporate, you know, corporate responsibility reports for the last six years. 
And you say you work with industry um, together to achieve some of these efforts. This is a very competitive and secretive industry. How do you manage to get beyond the competition for there's, the good of the whole? Yeah, there's different parts to it. So the environmental stuff, the environmental criteria and performance, we've actually tried not to compete. We've actually have, and the industry has been good about this. It's not just Intel. I mean, I have to give credit where it's due. Mm-hmm. I mean, the industry's really tried to help each other improve in terms of environmental performance. The technology and kind of how you get to the next level or the next node on the technology cycle is what's secretive. Equipment suppliers that supply equipment to, say, Intel or AMD or TI or IBM, they make equipment that serves the industry. They can't make equipment that only serves Intel or only serves IBM. It's too cost, it's too cost prohibitive. To do. Sure. So working with them on ways to improve the environmental impact is where we share information. Okay. We actually have, I mean, there's this consortium is called Semitech. Each of the companies actually send, you know, they give their employees for a couple of years to Semitech to go work on some of these environmental issues for the industry. And then they come back and, you know, we trade kind of those people come back to Intel and we assign new people to Semitech for several years. We're actually working, this is kind of related, but a little mm-hmm. sidetrack, we're actually working on a lead a standard, which is the green building standard um, for fabrication facilities, these great big fabs, and we've assigned people to Semitech to help drive that wow. industry. That's exciting. Yeah, no, it's going to be great because right now we're stuck using existing building um, lead standards to try to go back and kind of retroactively certify our buildings instead right. of having one that's specifically designed for these complex buildings. It's such a high-energy use industry. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, but I mean, that because it's high energy, and I know we've kind of already gone sidetracked, but the, the other half of our carbon footprint is energy, and that's what we've been focusing on lately. But the because it's so energy intensive, it's gotten a lot of attention in terms right. of driving it down, and there's a lot of opportunity that's been taken advantage of in that energy space. And the LEED standards cover so much more than just energy. It really is kind of a total sustainability. I mean, it it's called a green building standard, but it focuses on employees and materials and sourcing and everything else. So to touch on the second half, this energy piece, uh-huh. right? so the PFC started early. They started to drive those down, and because we report the data quarterly inside the company to our executives, and then mm-hmm. and actually we do it quarterly outside now even, you could see that the, the PFC half of the pie was getting smaller and the energy half was getting larger because we were continuing to grow and expand and we were doing a great job managing our perfluorocarbons. So then we had to start focusing on the energy. And, that and, was, and when was this? Around what time? This was probably 2003. Okay. I mean, there was always good conservation things going on, but it was pretty clear that we needed to do more in energy. And that's when we started to take our first public goals in terms of reducing energy conservation or reducing energy use um, both in a normalized and absolute value. That's when we started to take a look at, for the first time, you know, specific goals for our sites and specific kind of initiatives outside the company. We set up a, you know, a capital funding program mm-hmm. just for energy conservation projects that would help us, you know, kind of find projects that didn't have the best ROI or the best payback period in terms of you know, some of the other projects we were comparing them to, but allowed us to drive some energy conservation efforts. 
Can you give me some examples? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of work that's been done on that. For the last, I think I mentioned it, like five or six years, we've spent $19 million on energy conservation programs in this special kind of energy conservation capital funding program. And just last year, the savings were $15 million. And a lot of these things were focused on um, equipment inside the facility, you know, Mm -hmm. um, air handling units, chillers, things that we could build into the plant system and then copy everywhere else we needed to go. And so it, a lot of efforts there. So now you can see as you take a look at, as we're watching our data, right, we can see now a solid normalized reduction trend, which means using less energy per chip mm-hmm. um, year after year after year as we go forward. And is this mostly uh, in new facilities or, or retrofit facilities, or are you going in to existing operations and upgrading the technology so that it's more energy efficient? It's a little bit of everything that you mentioned. So where we can really hit it going into the the new facilities, it's clear opportunity, right? I mean, it's built in, it's lower cost, and we can drive it going forward. But a lot of the things that we've built or we've designed, these special energy conservation projects, have been, you know, in one facility that we then can go back and retrofit and then take forward. So there's a little bit of both. But, you know, the, the, and our goals, we keep tweaking them, too. I mean, our standing goal today is reduce our greenhouse gas emissions per production unit by 30% um, from a 2004 level by the time we get to 2010. And are you on track to achieve that goal? Yeah, yep, we're on track for that one. And um, there are, we're actually thinking about kind of tightening that up and making it even a little bit more robust and extending the time period out to 2012. So it forces us to take even a longer-term horizon on it. Let's talk about the business case for this. Is it a tough sell to go to the leadership of Intel and say, we need to make all of these changes, we need to invest these billions of dollars? What's the payoff? What's the selling point? Yeah, there's no doubt that we are scrutinized and, and we scrutinize these projects on a cost basis. So projects that don't have a strong ROI, that might sound very good from a, a reputation standpoint, mm-hmm. are a tough sell. If, they, if they're great from a reputation standpoint but, but have a positive ROI, they're a much easier, to, you know, sure. a much easier sell. We, we're a data-driven company. Everything is kind of built into a system here. If you want to change things, which a lot of these projects do, they, they change the way we do business you know, last year. They're a change in how we do business going forward. There's actually a change control process, and you have to describe, you know, I want to install this piece of equipment. It's going to cost us much money. The payback period is, you know, this period of time. Um, all the capital costs have to be defined up front. There's very few things that we have done over the years that have been just because it sounds good or it might um, look good somewhere. So you know, there's, there's things that we've done at our sites that really working with the community makes a lot of sense for the long-term viability of the company. But these energy conservation products, the ones we put in place, mm-hmm. have a positive ROI. And was that surprising? And do you think that other companies might not assume that they have a positive ROI? There's, this is complex, and I don't want to point to any you know, company in particular, but energy, once you get beyond the PFC stuff, when you're talking about energy, um, it sounds like it's a uniform playing field, but it really isn't. It's, it's unique to where you're doing business. It's unique to the cost you're paying for your energy today. And in, in Intel's case, we've been doing business for almost 40 years now. And in a lot of our locations, we have long-term energy contracts. 
So, for example, in, in Arizona or California or New Mexico where we do business, we may have negotiated a pretty good price for energy for a few years where in the marketplace some new entrant to that location might put up some solar panels and get a lot of public press positive, right, because right. Of something in solar. But they would have been paying you know, much more than we were to begin with so the switch to solar is much more of kind of a switch from one source to another. From us at our, our kind of negotiated energy prices, a lot of times we'd love to do things like solar or renewable power in some places, but the cost is three or four X what we're paying already. And we, it's just it, that's the kind of thing that doesn't make sense. We'd really love to do if it did. Again, how do you make the business case for, for reducing your energy use if you're getting energy for low prices? There's, there's smart ways to do it. I mean, it doesn't matter if we're paying a penny right, for kilowatt hour, we focus much more on conservation than the renewable and offset path. And even today, I think, you know, if you, if you had a philosophical argument, conservation, you can see where that makes a real impact and not, it's not trading some impact across industries or into different geographies. So we focused on conservation for years. We're actually looking at some renewable strategies today and different things, but we've always focused on conservation because those are dollars you can count. What I spend today, if I conserve 10% of my energy cost, this is my savings. Even with that, we're still the largest renewable purchaser of power in Oregon and one of the largest in New Mexico because those states have set up you know, ways for us to participate that isn't um, you know, a loss in cost. We're able to work with them within our own existing cost structures and still contribute to the, the market in those states. And do you think in... in being able to make that business case and showing to the world, especially in, in these industries that are such energy consumers, that it is cost-effective to go after these conservation efforts, that it's, it's going to have a, a larger impact than selling the, this, it's just what's good for the environment. There's no, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And I know there's no doubt in our mind here. Um, I think that one of the things it's hard to tell and you may have picked up on it at that conference, mm-hmm. is it, there's so much out there now, it's hard to tell what's real, what's not. Is one company's announcement better than another company's announcement? Because they both sound great. You know, if <clears throat> two companies are carbon neutral, which one is the better carbon neutral company? Um, where focusing on conservation and, and driving the business case, I think is really important. I know when, when I have interviews with Forbes or Fortune or the Wall Street Journal, they're always asking, so what, what's in it from the financial aspect? I mean, why do businesses do this? They know that more businesses do it today because they're, you know, it, it makes sense from a reputation standpoint. It's good for your uh, perception. But they still know there's got to be, businesses just can't do everything they want to look good. You know, they, they have to be focused on this, this business case, this financial analysis, and that's what they're trying to get at. There's also, I mean, when we go to different countries or to different states to locate, we're still the kind of industry that those locations compete for us. That They know Intel has a good name. They know that we work a lot in our communities and our employees are, you know, positive impacts to where they work. So we're often kind of courted to different places. Mm-hmm. But you've got to maintain those. You, you have to manage those relationships in a positive way if you want to remain, you know, a favorable neighbor. So there's a lot to it than just the cost impact. I mean, you right. want the community and you want the local governments and the economic infrastructure to value your input. But still, when it comes down to it, the company has to decide these things on a, on a cost 
basis. And I think what we've tried to do is really shift. Our biggest impact, I think, is shifting from this right now cost. Am I saving money today? Mm-hmm. Or am I willing to, to put some capital investment in place today that will save me money in the future? That's the thing that this conservation fund was set up to do is to push out that payback time frame. I mean, we're, we don't do things that... Um, are losers in terms of money. I mean, we're not going to do something that is a clear on paper. There's no way it's a clear loser in terms of our profit. It hits our profits and we can't pay it back. But what we will struggle with is deciding between a project that has a six-month payback period or a three-year payback period. How do you make that business case to Intel leadership? It's tough. It's a challenge. And I think a lot of what goes on today is really describing to them the the impact. I mean, the, the Energy Conservation Fund is one thing. That was actually set up to push that window back from six months to, you know, something longer. But if we want to do something beyond that, it really does take getting the senior leaders of the company together in a room or on the phone and talking about the value just beyond the dollars of some of these efforts that we're doing. A lot of the efforts in the citizenship space or the CSR space require minds that come together both from a you know, a sales and marketing aspect, an operational aspect, uh, you know, an employee workforce aspect, and a, and a technology aspect. They almost all have to come together to say, all right, for me, this is really valuable. From one person, another person may say, you know, it's going to cost me a little bit more, but I see the value you're going to see in it from three years out. It, it takes, you have to bridge the gaps that most companies have in place already today. The, these, these decisions require kind of input beyond the normal business group silos. And that's why they're so challenging. Let's go back to to more the Mm hands-on efforts and results. It's great to say let's reduce our our energy use uh, by 30%, but how do you do it? How do you identify those areas in your business model that are the most Mm energy-consuming and then just go in and fix them? Well, for us, it might be a little bit easier than other companies because we're so data-driven. We measure mm-hmm. everything. I mean, we have, you know, 90,000 people around the world, 50,000 still close to working in the manufacturing and the engineering aspect of the company. Um, you know, we're measuring the energy in and out of all the pumps and all the systems, um, tracking that the factories run 24 hours a day. You know, there's a lot of automation. There's a lot of data there to work from, and we have pretty good Pareto of where the energy uses are in our factories. So we might say, oh, the air handling units take up, you know, they occupy 40% of our total energy bill or, you know, lighting is 10% or, you know, heating and cooling is something else. We have all that data at our fingertips and we know what it is 24 hours a day. We know what it is per building, per factory. So, so how, do you, how do you change it? Well, it gives us exactly what to go focus on. So then our engineers can go take a look at ways to optimize that Pareto, which, which ones has the, you know, the largest piece of the pie, then our engineers go and actually take a look at ways to work on it. And we will take a look at, the, you know, pick one, for example, the, the, the conditioning of the air in our factories, because mm-hmm. that's huge, right? I mean, every, all these clean rooms are super clean. They have laminar airflow. It's, it's a big focus effort. It takes a lot of energy to maintain those environments. Mm-hmm. So getting our engineers together with all the equipment that touches that air, all the suppliers, you know, whether it's the the conditioners, the humidifiers, the airflows, the heaters, the chillers, getting those people together and trying to find ways to pull energy out of the equation. And that's exactly what they do. They, they work and they actually compete even inside our company. We have, you know, one site wants to be more energy efficient than another site. 
and it might win some. Our Ireland site has won some great energy sustainability awards in Ireland the last couple of years for chillers and, and air conditioning impacts. And they take that and they copy it across the rest of the company. So one last question. What advice do you have for other companies within your industry or in other industries on sure. how I mean, to be successful? And you can see this kind of playing out almost daily in our industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, people actually sharing information. They're sharing benchmarks. Um, first, you have to have you have to be able to measure your footprint. You've got to know what it is. You've got to know what it is from the operations, from the products. And the best you can get it in terms of, you know, your kind of total climate impact on the planet. And that might involve things that are harder to get, you know, your employees or your logistics. But if you focus on your operations and your products first, get that down, then you can take a look at it, and then you can do those prioritization methods that I described. Take a look mm-hmm. at the biggest piece of the pie and focusing on it. But once you get that part, the next level really is taking a look inside your sector. Companies are competitive. The people that run companies are competitive. Mm-hmm. And people like me can use that competitive nature to, to drive performance in the company. So if I can share within my company something that one of our competitors is doing better than us, it'll drive a lot more improvement in here. Really getting that information out and sharing it. The high-tech sector is good in terms of sharing information. I mean, I can go take a look at Sun, and I can take a look at IBM and HP and Dell and TI and AMD and see what they're doing in terms of energy conservation, how they're managing it, where they're making their big strides, even what they're announcing and how they're advertising. And it, and it really, and they can do the same thing for Intel. So you're using your competitors' efforts and successes to spur competition right, within your exactly, own organization. Exactly, and I, and that, that's the exact same thing that's happened in the petrochemical industry. It's the exact same thing that's happening in the automotive industry. So first thing, in in industries that are kind of coming to this, you first have to get your footprint and then start sharing it. That's what will really drive improvement, competitive improvement. I mean, there's going to be um, legislative drivers. There's going to be regulatory drivers around the world. There's going to be cap and trade systems put in place like there are already in other places in the world. So there's going to be that environment. But between the consumer driver, you know, mm-hmm. competitive advantage in the marketplace, and the competitive nature among companies. That's where all these announcements are coming out, is companies aren't announcing them just because. They're announcing them because one of their competitors announced something similar and they want to beat them or you know, right. do better than they do, or they want to differentiate themselves in the marketplace. Those are the things that drive companies. Regulations you know, change the way companies behave, but they don't drive companies to be better. And what you say, the, the first step is measuring your carbon footprint. What is the best place to start? If you're a company that has no idea. The best place to start is, you know, I mean, there are consultants that do this. And without naming them, you could, you know, you could find them. You could just search for carbon footprint or carbon accounting. But the best thing, the, the, most, the simplest thing to do is really get together with your local utility. That's the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically take your meter, take it from beginning to end, or, you know, get it at one day and measure it at the end of the day or by month. They can help you then with their mix. They can give you the calculations in terms of what your carbon footprint is as a company or as a business, even as a service provider, you're going to have a carbon footprint. And they can help you determine what that is. And then they can say, you know, then you can start to work on it. Start with your operations, then take a look at what you provide, you know, in terms of the materials you buy, the services or the products you sell. Um, Start with your operational footprint, then move on to your products. And there are a lot of... 
there are a lot of consultants out there that make a business in this now, but I think as even small businesses can do something, you know, they can just sit down, take their bill, have a phone call with their electric utility and determine their carbon footprint and start working on it. You've been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com. 